0: And, of course, with that, though, I mean, what types of businesses should they consider?
1: I mean, Zoom, before 18 months ago, was a comic book or something. And now it's on everybody's mind. So that just exploded into the world. Transparency.
2: It's so important. Transparency honesty, building relationships with people, and having two-way conversations. So it's not just, I'm the doctor, I'm the scientist, I know everything, talk to me, listen to me.
1: That's Benny Mathers, and yours truly, followed by Dr. Seaman Yasmin. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers, who will also participate in the show today. In just a few moments, Benny and I are going to discuss the ins and outs of pursuing self-employment during, hopefully, the post-pandemic world. Also, Dr. Seaman Yasmin of Stanford University will emphasize the need for the medical profession to communicate more effectively and clearly with patients and the general public. Back with Benny and myself in just a moment.
2: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com.
0: All one word. So, Paul, we know that the pandemic seems to be, well, winding down, and someone may be considering starting their own small business. So what should they factor in on?
1: Well, you know, I've been giving that a lot of thought, and really, I'm doing this segment because something just came to me the other day about this, and I've talked about this about running a small business for many years, and one of the myths I talk about is when people say, always think positive, good things will happen. Well, this is a great example that, as an individual, if you think positive, it's beyond your control. And what I've always said is that you should always think worst-case scenario. And that's why I've said that over the years is like something like this you can't predict. But what you can predict is that there's going to be a slowdown in the economy. There's always recessions that occur. Mm -hmm. And you can look at it as this has just been a giant recession in many different ways. But um, that's what I always submit that you should factor in to opening up your business. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I always say in the beginning, keep your overhead low. And I've been saying that again for a long time, and now there's no excuse because we got Zoom calls, we have so many communication techniques right. that you can start a business out of your basement. Yeah, And that is what I strongly urge people to consider, to keep their overhead down. That is a business failing that happens more than ever, that people get into financial trouble Because they have too much overhead in the beginning. Quickly, I always will suggest that people look at a business, not about their passion, but what they should be doing is finding a niche and solving a problem. For example, looking at, a um, let's say, a challenge, let's say a, a problem. A problem is housing, okay, all the time. So a niche would be, hey, there's a lot of micro homes being built now for the homeless or something like that or low income. That's a niche that you're filling. And again, by that, you're solving a problem, and there always is going to be a need for housing. So that's the way I think entrepreneurs really should think and continue to think uh, going forward because there's going to be another pandemic. There's going to be another recession.
0: Words to understand and live by, so to speak. And it is really an interesting and awesome thing about our world now with the information and technology age on People having small business to jump on those platforms, which you mentioned earlier, the Zooms and the Skypes, it is making it more convenient for those trying to start the new uh, small business of their choice. And of course, with that, though, I mean, what types of businesses should they consider?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of businesses that really thrived during this uh, pandemic, as you just mentioned, and we talked about Zoom. I mean, Zoom before 18 months ago was a comic book or something. And now it's on everybody's mind. So that just exploded into the world. So there were a lot of different businesses that did thrive during this time. But I still think you have to approach it in in a business that, again, if you stick to finding a niche and solving a problem and you put that in your mindset every single day, if you're considering this, something will pop up eventually. You go, wow, that's something that's not being fulfilled. And it could be an experience that you have that you're trying to find something and you're just not finding it, that's an opportunity. Um, And looking at some of the businesses, uh, construction I mentioned, I mean, I can't get someone over here to my house now to do some work in the yard that's uh, landscaping or build a fence. Right now it's six, eight months behind. So that's something if you incline, you have a good uh, head in terms of uh, building and taking care of small projects and things, and you have a core competency there. That would be something to consider. Again, keep your overhead low, friends and neighbors in the beginning, and uh, you can do it that way. Um, Like bicycles. I mean, there's a bicycle shop up in West Seattle now where I live, and you walk in there, it's jammed. I don't think that's going to go away. Anything to do with exercise, anything to do with um, meal preparation, good meals, deliveries, things like that. There's a lot of competition there, but you find a niche, like you just serve organic food, Mm -hmm. or you just specialize in something like that. Fitness instructors, I think that's something to consider. Um, You know, there's a wide open uh, territory there. You can do that online. You can actually open up a little gymnasium in a a neighborhood wherever you're at. But that's something I think is here to stay. Uh, Tutoring. Everybody has tutoring. Like, Benny, you've been in radio for many years. Mm -hmm. You could really coach people on how to do a radio show or something like that. Um, it's like what, you know, there's a niche there and there's a demand for it. I mean, I just read in the last, uh, month or so, there's like 20 million plus podcasts out there. So that's something that you have a core competency in that you could do. So those are just some examples that I think, again, you can really take a look at very closely and come up with something that you have that aha moment. I can do this, but you're approaching it differently in filling that need. So I'm uh, talking about this almost to agnosium, but I really believe it.
0: Yeah. The uh, advancements in technology and that the whole supply and demand area is going to be in, well is, and going to be shifting back and forth for this next uh, probably a couple of years to say the least.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's going to be a condition Mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, Again, in 2025, we get another recession. and We probably will. There's one thing that I can't predict, right. and many people can't, is when it's going to happen. But it's going to happen. Sure. So I'm just saying gear your business towards that. And if you're in the business, let's say we talked about, like for you doing, you don't have a lot of overhead. Right. So you're not going to be affected as much. You put it on hold for a while and then pick it up at another time.
0: So you also chatted about uh, myths surrounding self-employment. Well, uh, what are some of those myths?
1: I have eight, but I have uh, time just for a couple. And one I talked about earlier, and that's about thinking positive, that that's going to make you somehow successful. And I've been reading more of that recently than I have before. So it's something I want to bring up again. And the follow your passion thing and the money will follow again. I think that's the big lie. It's not true. And I continue to read that. Again, you uh, have to find a niche and solve a problem to increase your prospects for success. The other thing is that uh, I look at uh, a big myth is that it continues to be put out there is that entrepreneurs are huge risk takers. And some are, I mean, the ones that, you know, take a chance on something that they don't really have an idea whether it's going to work. They get into overhead problems immediately. And we read about those people. And I believe that actually the people who are the small business owners that succeed are not risk takers. They look at working for someone else. And I'm speaking for myself, but I've talked to other people. That's the risk taking, that you're leaving your life in the hands of someone else. That's what drives people to go into business for themselves. And that's why they will make it work. And they keep their costs down. They do everything they can to make it work because they look at the world differently. The other thing is is that businesses fail because they're undercapitalized. I think a lot of businesses fail because they have too much money. In the beginning, they go out and they raise money, and they're spending it on things they don't need to uh, spend it on, and then within six months to a year, they're gone. I've seen that time and again. People think that they need a lot of money. They don't. I started my business on $10,000 in 1985, worked out of the basement, did all the... That stuff, someone was my mentor, told me how to approach it. I would have made every mistake in the book had I been left to my own devices. But in this case, I had a really good teacher who helped me out in that way.
0: Uh, that actually brings up a very good point because I remember, Paul, you've mentioned in the past that you always want to uh, use or the majority of your own money rather than someone else's, like a, a bankroll or someone that's going to invest in your company.
1: When you're writing the checks out of your own account, you're much more conservative. And I can go into a long story there about someone who started a business the same time as mine, but their uncle wrote them a big check. They went down to Pioneer Square, got all this office space. Their expenses were 15000 to 20000 a month before they even turned on the lights. So you get yourself in that predicament. The pressure is high. You get into debt very quickly, and poof, it's
2: gone. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? PreFlight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and Input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's PreFlight Checklist.
1: Emmy Award-winning health reporter, epidemiologist, and medical doctor, Seema Yasmin, is with us. She is director of the Stanford Center for Health Communication and assistant professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. Now, all of this is not enough to keep her occupied. She also wrote a book called Viral BS, Medical Myths and Why We Fall for Them. Let's start with myth number one. It's current and it's very top of mind. COVID-19 and the vaccine.
2: There are so many myths and conspiracies circulating about COVID-19 and about COVID-19 vaccines, especially now. And I think the thing to remember is this is not a new phenomenon. So even this book, people say to me, oh, you have a book coming out about medical myths. It's such good timing. I've been working on this book for six years because this has been a problem. It's just that during times of epidemics or pandemics, when we have so much uncertainty and fear and anxiety, people really prey on that, and it can be a lot easier for us to fall for the myths. So my hope is that this book really gives people a toolkit, a set of skills for separating the facts from the fiction, and really understanding, like, what is legitimate information versus what's misleading or inaccurate. And that can definitely apply to the COVID-19 pandemic as well.
1: What do you think the biggest uh, myths are about the vaccinations?
2: There are so many, to be honest. but I think one that I've been or two that I've been hearing recently that have worried me. One is this idea that the vaccines change your DNA and they don't but the reason I worry about that one is because we've not had mRNA vaccines before and therefore I think it's easy for people to think oh, it says mRNA in the title, it must change our DNA. But it doesn't work like that because our DNA is inside our nucleus in our cell. This mRNA vaccine can't even get in there. In fact, the mRNA gets into our bodies, gets interpreted into the spike protein, and that mRNA itself actually disappears, disintegrates. It doesn't stick around for very long. But I can just see how that could be believable to people because they hear our mRNA then they hear DNA. Another thing I'm hearing is that the vaccines cause infertility, which they don't. But that's been a really persistent myth. Many people have actually believed it. And so I want people to know that vaccines do not cause infertility.
1: All these myths that have come about, have we ever seen anything like this though? This seems to me to be over the top. It's cultural and it's all that mixed in as well.
2: So like I said, it's not a new phenomenon, but I think you're right that it feels a lot worse this time. And I think that's partly because not only are we humans the same in nature, we saw like the spread information, including misinformation, but now we have social media at our disposal. We have the internet. So not that false information is new, but we have newer ways of spreading it and spreading it super, super fast even like with the anti-vaccine messages, that didn't just start with COVID-19. Those messages and those movements have been around for a really long time. They go back decades, in fact. And so it's not a new idea that we fall for misinformation and disinformation. We saw the same thing happen during the Ebola epidemic of 2014 to 2016. Myself and others really studied that in detail to understand what were the myths, how were they spreading. And so many of us were actually like, Oh, when we have a big epidemic or maybe even a global pandemic, the spread of misinformation and disinformation is going to be a big problem. And we wish that more of the public health agencies had paid attention to that, to be honest, because now we are living it. Not only a pandemic is hitting us, but what we call a misinfodemic, an epidemic of misinformation. And you've seen that can be deadly, that can cost people their lives when they fall for misinformation.
1: I've always felt that the uh, medical industry, if that's that's not what we call it per se, but I've always felt that they could do a much better job of squashing a lot of these myths and they should get ahead of it. And I think you just said that.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think communication is so powerful and what's happened in medicine and science over the years is we dismissed that as a key skill we're like no we're scientists we do the science and then there are people like me who are like but we have to know how to communicate the science because if we're bad at doing it that vacuum gets filled by people who are spreading false information so i do a lot of work on this training scientists and healthcare workers on how to be more effective communicators and honestly i only came up against this and across this and it became my life's passion when I myself saw firsthand how dangerous this could be. Cause I used to be a hospital doctor in England I moved to America 10 years ago to serve as an officer in the epidemic intelligence service, which is that the job that Kate Winslet's character plays in contagion, where oh basically goodness. you work for the CDC, you work for the federal government, right? And you get sent to wherever there's an epidemic to try and stop the spread of disease. And I loved that job. But very early on, I realized, hold on, Everywhere that I get sent where there's an epidemic, it's not just a virus that's spreading. It's also false information about that virus. And that false information is really dangerous. It's making people believe all sorts of weird things. It's making them very vulnerable, making it harder for me to do my job. And it was at that point that after a few years at the CDC, I went back to school and I went to journalism school because I realized the power of public health is really in journalism and in getting this information out there So. A lot of my life's work is convincing other doctors and scientists that it's not okay to just be a brilliant scientist or a great doctor. You have to be a good communicator, otherwise all of our good work can fall apart.
1: Music to my ears, and congratulations for doing that, because that is so needed. And um, I'm so happy to hear you made those efforts to do that, because that's going to make the difference. I have a deep affiliation with the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at Washington State University. And his legacy to me was to seek the truth. And there's a quote, one of his more famous quotes, that I think goes to the heart of the matter on this. To be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. And to be credible, we must be truthful. So if the information isn't truthful, but you as a recipient are hearing it over and over and over again, and it's not challenged, you're going to believe it. And why wouldn't you?
2: Absolutely, and when you say truth, it also makes me think about this idea that we have to be truthful about how science is done, Who does science and the history of science? Because the history of science isn't all squeaky clean. It's full of these unethical experiments and all these issues that we pay current consequences for. And I think until we talk about that, you don't really get to the heart of why people distrust science or may not trust the vaccine when actually really bad things have happened at the hands of scientists and doctors. So for me, truth also means talking about these really difficult things that trying to atone for the bad history of science and medicine so that people do have more faith in us and more faith in the process.
1: Transparency.
2: It's so important. Transparency honesty, building relationships with people, and having two-way conversations. So it's not just, I'm the doctor, I'm the scientist, I know everything, talk to me, listen to me. You have to understand why somebody in the first place may not want to vaccinate their kid. You have to understand in the first place why somebody might be wary of a new vaccine. And until you really connect with them and understand why, and you know, you talk to six parents who are vaccine hesitant, you may get six very different reasons for why they're vaccine hesitant, but until you understand that, you can't have an effective conversation. An effective conversation isn't just you hitting them with facts. In fact, all the studies, many of the studies show that just bombarding people with facts can make them kind of dig their heels into their existing beliefs even more. You have to listen to people first. You have to have compassion and empathy, build your relationship, and that's how you have good communication.
1: wanna move quickly into some other topics in your book. And you even address, like, leftover food. And uh, to get right to it, how long can you safely store leftovers?
2: The point here is that many Americans end up in the ER every year because of very serious food poisoning. So we have to be careful about this. Of course, The amount of time that you can keep something before you throw it out depends on what the food is, how it was prepared, how you've stored it. But even frozen food has a shelf life. You know, we often think you stick it in the freezer, it's going to be fine forever. It's not. And that's why you have to put dates on things and label things. In this chapter in the book, I kind of go through different examples about the bugs and different kinds of food as well. And I share a resource where you can look up exactly which food you're talking about, how you prepared it, how you stored it, and based on that. Should you throw it out or could you still safely eat it?
1: Okay, and also one thing I thought was pretty much figured out, and that is football and brain disease. They go hand in hand, but is that the case? You kind of highlighted that in your book.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's building evidence that any kind of sport, not just football, but boxing, soccer, if you're doing lots of headers, where you're getting these repetitive head injuries causes brain disease. We call it CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. People have heard about this in the news. There's been NFL players and others who've gotten very sick. It's a disease that's diagnosed in death because it's done by an autopsy. But it's why some parents are either saying flat out no to their kids playing certain sports or people are developing safer ways for kids to play those sports without developing concussions repeatedly.
1: Are you one of those uh, who maybe think that, let's say, young boys wanting to play football, that they should not play tackle football until maybe they're 18 years old? They shouldn't be playing this in youth football, maybe just flag football and get kind of the procedures down, the plays and what you do there. But you don't need to tackle at that age
2: that's what some people are saying. Yeah, and I'm a public health doctor. So we think about risk and harm reduction as opposed to do this, don't do that because we are pragmatists and we realize that people will do what they want anyway. And so it's better to tell people, okay, you're going to do such and such. Here's a way of doing such and such that's a bit safer, that minimizes your risk. And so there are people out there who are saying, kids do have to stop playing football. But as you said, there are other ways of playing that just lower their chances of getting knocked in the head time and time again. That's the real issue here.
1: I'm curious about this and bad teeth causing heart disease.
2: So there is a link between the health of your teeth and gums and the rest of your body. And it's why cardiologists or heart doctors say to us, Get your teeth checked regularly and make sure you're brushing and flossing twice a day. And the reason for this is if you have swollen gums and gums that bleed, that allows bacteria in your mouth to get into your bloodstream. And that can then cause swelling and inflammation inside your blood vessels. And that can affect your blood vessels and your heart. So we're all connected. And that's why taking good care of your teeth and gums can actually pay off in many ways and will actually protect your blood vessel and your heart as well.
1: The book is called Viral BS, Medical Myths and Why We Fall for Them, available on Amazon and other bookstore sites. It's so refreshing to have someone like Dr. Yasmin, who knows that the medical field has to do a better job of communicating with the public about health-related issues and debunking false claims. Otherwise, the extremes becomes the mainstream. Not doing this can end up costing thousands of lives as it has done with COVID-19. According to over a dozen medical experts convened by the medical journal Lancer, 40% of deaths could have been avoided in the U.S. if the virus had been taken more seriously by millions of people. Wear a mask, social distance, and stay away from indoor gatherings. My personal view? Every action we take brings within an element of risk. Whether boarding a plane or driving to the airport, there was always a possibility that something could go wrong. When it comes to the COVID vaccine, however, I listen to the doctors and scientists like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Yasmin, and I'm at peace with doing that. It does make life easier if you listen to the experts. Say I'm on a flight and the pilot says, we have turbulence ahead, so fasten your seatbelts. Do I? Or have you seen anyone shaking his fists at the uh, pilot saying, I will not fasten my seatbelt. You are infringing on my individual liberty or some other nonsense like that. I trust the pilot. He knows a lot more than me about what to do in an airplane. I did get my first vaccine shot and will hopefully receive my second shot in a couple of weeks. I will keep you posted as to how it goes. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to Benny Mathers for his great questions on self employment and, of course, for producing the show, and to Dr. Seaman Yasmin in an interview I had with her in mid February, almost five months ago. And she got it right. There really has not been any major complications health wise with the vaccine. Now, I was between vaccine shots at the time, as I said in this uh, segment. And uh, between one and two, and I said I would report back. My experience, well, five months later, no problems whatsoever. 97% of the new COVID cases in King County come from those who have not been vaccinated. Now, if people need any more evidence about the pros of getting the vaccine, based on those statistics, I um, really don't know what else we can do to convince Anybody who's not getting the vaccine to do it. Now, Danny Westney from the Seattle Times has a suggestion. He feels that we should shut down the lottery and just pay people directly to bring us to the 80% herd immunity goal in this state. We're getting there, and maybe this would help us cross that finish line. And some good news that I saw today for the first time that there were less than 100 deaths in the United States from covid in addition to hearing Voices of Experience on KKNW on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. and on Wednesdays at 8 a.m., you can now listen to Voices of Experience on Kixie. You may be listening to the show right now on Kixie. Any comments about what you heard today? Call the Voices of Experience hotline and leave your comments. That number is 425-653-1166. Please, just keep your comments short and I will get it on the air if you would like me to. That's 425 425- Six five three eleven sixty six. What's this show all about? I believe that experience is our best coach. We talk about entrepreneurship, which we did today, and of course, health with Dr. Seaman Yasmin. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Thanks for listening. Quote of the week, and this is reference to the Civil War. If we are to have another contest in the future of our national existence, I predict that the dividing line will not be Mason and Dixon's, but between patriotism and intelligence on one side and the superstition, ambition, and ignorance on the other. President Ulysses S. Grant.